Hey there everyone, welcome aboard to another episode of this Between the Lines podcast. This is your host Mayuresh and today we will be going through this week's Champions League fixtures. We will be taking a look at what happened in Germany as Real Madrid won against Leipzig in a very controversial manner in Germany. We will also be taking a look at what happened in the Parc des Princes as Paris Saint-Germain beat Real Sociedad by two goals to nil. And we'll also be taking a look at what's happening with the Kylian Mbappe situation. We'll be talking about Man City and Copenhagen in brief, but we will be starting starting in the Stadio Olimpico in Rome as the pressure is mounting on Thomas Tuchel as Bayern Munich suffered their second consecutive loss this week as they lose to Lazio by a goal to nil. So it finished Lazio 1, Bayern Munich 0 after the end of the first leg in the Stadio Olimpico in Rome. Bayern Munich lost a second consecutive game in a matter of what? Four days, and this was against a team which is struggling in the Serie A. They're eight in the Serie A Lazio this year and the Maurizio Sarri, they haven't been good. But in this game, especially in the second half, they turned up, they had a game plan and they acted accordingly and they have got a victory. It was a very memorable night for all the fans that came up at the Stadio Olimpico in the light blue supporting uh, Lazio. Lazio had their own injury problems. Of course, Bayern Munich had their own problems on the field and off the field. Of course, with Thomas Tuchel as well after their defeat against Bayer Leverkusen and we discussed it at length in my last podcast but this was another low this is another massive scandalous display from Bayern Munich especially in the second half and we need to talk about that um this is this is something that we did not see happening i especially i expected a one all draw because i thought this might just be a, a a game where lazio frustrate them for a long time and because of what we've seen in the last uh, one month of Bayern Munich, they have been leaking goals. We look at the game against Augsburg or even against Borussia Mönchengladbach where Nico Alvedi scored that goal. That shouldn't have been a goal. It was just a simple ball win at the, uh, uh, on, the, on the halfway line and that was converted into a chance by Nico Alvedi. You look at the game against Werder Bremen where they lost at home and even against Bayer Leverkusen where they shipped off three goals. So these are some of the games which they've been shipping goals up for fun. And in this game, I thought, you know, there might be a situation just like that and Lazio score and they make this tie interesting, at least alive for themselves to believe in when they go to the Allianz Arena in Munich. But it is more than a draw. It is a 1-0 victory. It is, it is a game where they have left scars again on Bayern Munich. There is yet to be clarity on what the future is for Thomas Tuchel. They will be going away to Bochum. Uh, this weekend, or maybe they're they're at home to Bochum, I don't know, but it's that sort of a situation right now that the Bayern Munich, especially the the board members and Uli Hoeneß and everyone, Christoph Freund especially, are are in are, are in the midst of a wave of questions coming in from the German media because this is this is really caught fire at the very wrong time right now for Bayern Munich. This is the business end of the season. They're already out. Uh, embarrassingly, though from uh, the DFB Pokal from Saarbrücken. They are out. They're more or less uh, looking at uh, Bayer Leverkusen going into the sunset in the Bundesliga as well. But this the Champions League has to be something that they should be focusing on and they should be focusing on well right now. But this has really gone pear-shaped for them, especially after the first leg. The questions are piling on. The pressure is piling on Thomas Tuchel and rightly so because of because of what the situation holds up for, for a team like Bayern. Uh, so let's take a look at what happened in this game. Uh, <clears throat> of course, a lot of focus was on the f- starting eleven after the first leg, uh, uh, not on the first leg, after the defeat 
against Bayer Leverkusen at the uh, at the Bay Arena at the weekend. In this game, he tried to resurrect that mistake. He tried to rectify his errors and he tried to play a proper 4-2-3-1 with uh, Rafael Guerrero being reinstated back at left-back. He had Kim and Upamecano, still no signs of Delict in the starting eleven. Masravi played at right-back. Uh, Kimmich was back in the midfield alongside Goretzka, no place for Pavlovich there. And Dyer was also not played because it was not a back three and it was Thomas Muller who started behind Harry Kane or more or less as a centre-forward. And then there were two players in Musiala and uh, Sané who were tasked with getting on the wide areas. As for Lazio, it was it, it was it was a starting eleven as expected. They played a very work. I mean, they, they played a very dodgy midfield of Cataldi and all these other guys, and guys like uh, Luis Alberto and Matteo Ganduzzi. They missed Ma- Matias Vecino in there because uh, he was he was ill, as as Mauri stated in his pre-game press conference, and also. There were some suggestions that he did some part of uh, part of training with the Lazio first team, but then again he was in the starting eleven, but then he was not. It was a bit of a mystery in there, but yeah, I, th- I thought that if, uh, the midfield played really well for the most part of this game, whilst whilst they were together, I thought Genduzzi had a decent game. So did Cataldi and Luis Alberto, who actually had a very good shot from uh, from from distance in the first half. That was the only chance or the only phase of play in which. Um, Lazio came close to threatening Bayern Munich's goal. Um, if you look at the first half, uh, in many ways, I think Kimmich and Goretzka had a lot of control of the ball. Bayern, in, in, in totality, had a lot of the ball. They had a lot of chances. And there is something that I really want to put forward here. In the first half, uh, the lineup was pretty perfect. I think there is there has to be no questions about the lineup in there. But um, when you talk about as Bayern Munich, you keep the ball, you create a lot of chances. There were chances for guys like Muziala, there were chances for Kane. Um, <clears throat> there was also a chance for Zane and and he, uh, there, there were chances all over the place for, uh, for for Bayern Munich in the first half. And there there comes a there comes a question if if Bayern Munich take those chances, there might be there might be a different situation. The, the, the context of the game might just change and we might be talking about a completely different outcome for this game, but it wasn't the case. They did not take the chances. Lazio stay in the game. There was just one chance, as I as I said before, and that was not even a chance. It was Luis Alberto trying his luck from distance, which he has done on a long uh, on a lot of times this uh, in in his career at Lazio. But um, as I said again, the, the, there were moments for Bayern Munich in which they should have capitalized on it, but they didn't. And you know it. When you have the personnel right, when you have the control of the game, and when you create chances, there is not much a coach can do uh, that, that a coach can add to to actually make a difference on him, uh, him himself in in a game like this, in a game of this magnitude. So, I think there is a lot to uh, th- there is a lot of questions to be also asked from these these players. But as as a lot of times we've seen before, that the box stops with the manager. In I mean. In most cases, that the box really stops with the manager. It's nothing to do with the players. And then again, you look at the second half, wherein there seems to be a gradual disconnection as the game goes on between the manager and the players because they try to play in a mid-block sort of a thing, which is uncharacteristic of Bayern Munich. Really didn't fancy the way they were trying to play this one. But then also you look at uh, uh, the, 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 the... 
the Lazio team, which is trying to actually get get themselves into a mold as well, they they try to gradually grow into the game, and there came some chances as well for uh, for, for some of their players. Uh, of course, there was that massive mistake that made that was made by Upamecano, where Nisikson uh, drives into the area. There was a chance which Manuel Neuer saves really well. Uh, but then the goal comes in because uh, Upamecano stupidly steps, uh, uh, makes a high challenge on Isaksen and then Chiro Immobile tucks in the penalty past Manuel Nora. That's 1-0. And then again, there were another chance for Daichi Kamada in, when he comes on. There were some really good changes made in, in the personnel by Maurizio Sari and for that we need to give him his flowers. But uh, there was another chance for Pedro, I think, uh, at the end of this, at, at the end of that game, where he should have scored as well. So there were there were a lot of chances in this game. If you talk about uh, if you talk about Lazio in the second half, but, but in particular, where they could have made it, uh, they, they could have made it from one nil to two nil, and this could have this could have meant Bayern were in much dire straits that they found themselves that they find themselves currently in. So. That's that, and when you think about it, Upamecano making some brain cell farting errors that is just not excusable. I mean, he made two errors, and you look at it, there there is something that goes around in this dressing room. There is that disconnect that I talked about. The thing uh, that really bugs me, or that really does, I, I don't like this, and Harry Kane, I know Harry Kane has got great passing range, he's one of the greatest passers right now in terms of centre forwards involved in this game right uh, currently um, he's one of the great passers of the ball he links up played really well but you look at it and you you can't help but think why is Harry Kane trying to play a role of Sergio Busquets in this Bayern Munich side I I, I just can't understand I know that they have a lack of uh, defensive midfielders in this team but why is Harry Kane coming so deep and try to spray passes on the wide right-hand side towards Leroy Zane and Nuzer Mazraoui? I, I cannot get my head around that because it's it's needless. That that takes away from Harry Kane his his main his, his main Arsenal his main his main what do you say uh, his his main job and that is to score goals and be a threat in the box. Because whenever there is a chance that falls around, it, it's falling out to people like Eric Maxim, Chupamoting, and, um, and, and, and Jamal Musial. Of course, they are competent enough to do that job as well. But it, it should be Harry Kane who should be on in, in these areas and not these guys. So th- there is a certain amount of discomfort that I get from watching that. The, the the fact that Harry Kane has to drop that deep and try to link up play is it's just not is it's just not required at this point in time. So there there is a lot of things to get right for Bayern Munich. There is a lot of things to get right for Thomas Tuchel. We're not we're not even getting into the part that Mauricio Sarri had to tinker with his lineup in in the in in the one hour that he had before the game because Vecino got himself out of the starting eleven. He he still he still does not have the. Um, uh, uh, he still does not have Matthias Akanyi at his disposal as well, so that's one major threat in the attack for him. Uh, Felipe Anderson played. I, I think he, he he worked hard, really. But he worked really hard in this game, and so that's so that's really commendable for him. Or and even Isaksen, I think he, he he gave some really good industry on that right hand side, uh, especially in 
of course, I, I, I think there is a lot to look forward to if you're a Lazio and you definitely have a puncher's chance here uh, at the Allianz Arena when they go back to Germany. Um, as far as for Bayern Munich, I think um, there is... There, there is a lot of questions to answer. Uh, you, you look at the, this game again, and as the game moved on, the impact of the midfield was just was just decreasing. If you look at Kimmich and Goretzka, they were just so ineffective as the game moved on. You look at the likes of uh, uh, the look at the likes of Zane, who was not even bothering to try and work hard for the team at, at, when when the going gets tough. It, it, it's it's been a characteristic for him. Over his career, whether it's been Man City or even uh, at Bayern Munich, especially at Bayern Munich, it has it has gone from bad to worse. It 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 has been a certain amount of uh, a certain amount of complacency when it comes to Bayern Munich in their play, which is generally out of context given the fact where the team is right now. Um, you look at Goretzka, who was terrible in this game yet again, and he still plays for a club like Bayern Munich. I know he's got a physical element to his game, but Definitely should not be playing or you should not be starting games in the Champions League for a club like Bayern Munich. He's a good player to have in your squad. But he's not at the level to be starting for a club like Bayern Munich, given the fact that he's devoid of technical abilities and even the football IQ that is required to play at this level. He's a good player, can do a decent job on, uh, at, at any team uh, for a game or two, but not as a starter. Let's be honest. Uh, Rafael Guerrero, he, he had a decent enough game. I thought the only players who had a decent game for Bayern were Kim, Mazraoui, or Kane. He was trying to get involved, but it was not his primary job. Um, Mazraoui, Kim, Guerrero, and then you can only add Kane, or even for a few 30, 35 minutes, you can even push in the narrative of Kimmich being good. But apart from that, they were just terrible. The, Jamal Musiala has not been good enough since the World Cup in 2022 and that's a long time now for a player of his ability of his of his upside to not have the impact that he could have had I mean of course I know that he scored that goal against Köln who that won them the Bundesliga last year but that was not down to him that was down to Dortmund not being good enough on the day against Mainz so th- there there is a lot to look th- there is a lot to look back upon and see where where how you how you rectify your mistakes or how you develop your team. And th- then there comes an also another uh, an- another thing that Thomas Dougal has not been good enough, and that is th- that-, that he's not developed players in this in this side where you could see that there was some sort of an identity when Julian Nagelsmann was there. You, you look at guys like Davies and, uh, and Kimmich, they were trying to enjoy the game, even Leroy Zane, and he was trying to integrate guys like... Matthias selected to the squad and that was looking like a seamless transition from Italian to German football but right now it looks like it, it looks like they're it, it looks like the pass it, 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 they don't look like good players anymore you look at Kim you look at guys like uh, Kimmich you look at Davies who's had a terrible season you look at players like Musiala who should be the face of Bayern Munich by now but he's not there, there is some reason to it. Serge Gnabry, I don't know what's happened to that guy, but since Hansi Flick's left, the guy has really regressed in his in, in his in his football carafe, and it it does not seem like it's going to get up anytime soon. Matisse Tell, I mean, the one reason why Julian Nagelsmann was fired from this Bayern Munich job was because he was not really having a good time with the youngsters. 
Matisse has not been growing up uh, in terms of his football abilities and he's not been developed and upped into a very good footballer by by Thomas Tuchel himself as well. So where is the where, where is the conviction that he gets? And another thing that, that I would like to talk about as uh, the conviction word comes into my mind is that even when you look at the uh, the, the post-match interview that he gave uh, to, uh, to 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 the Italian media after the game, he was he, he was saying that he was acting as if he is absolutely clueless about what's happening because he said that I, for one thing that I would really like to that I really hate is that when coaches say that we didn't lose the game we didn't lose the we, they didn't win the game we lost the game and it's it's sort of uh, it's sort of a way of taking the credit off from the opposition when they've won the game. It's it's just so stupid in these sort of situations. But he said the same thing. He said that Lazio did not lose the game. Uh, he they, Lazio did not win the game. They lost the game. And uh, Bayern Munich itself lost the game. And I, I thought that was, again, some stupid statement again made by Thomas Tuchel, which was not really required at that point in time. Um, but then again, you look at what he's what he tried to say and he was acting as if he was absolutely clueless about every single situation in this team he was he was saying that you know what I, i've got no idea why the intensity went out i've got no idea why we were missing chances i've got no idea why we were playing so poorly and then Lazio grabbed their opportunities and they won the game that's football in in in, in itself you know you take your chances and you win games if you don't take your chances like Bayern had abundant of chances in the first half in front of players who are competent enough, they lost the game. And in many ways, they deserve to lose the game. So I don't understand as to why there, there is a big sort of uh, lack of idea. And th this has not been this uh, the, in, just in this game. It's been throughout the season. Whenever Bayern have lost it, Thomas Tuchel has come out and says that he does not know why they've lost it. Your primary job is to understand and analyze the game at the at, at that present time, and he's failing to do that. So that there is a mechanical, there's a fundamental error in his coaching, which which gets highlighted by himself in every single game because that's your that's your primary job, and you have to be you have to be held accountable for these things, and you can't just wave off these things, especially when you're a Bayern Munich coach and. Uh, when, when things are going south for you, you, you have to be held accountable. You have to hold yourself accountable for all these things. Um, but yeah, again, I would like to point these things out. When there is an error made, there is an individual error that is not part of the coaching manual, that, that, that should not fall onto the coach that, that Dario Pimicano did. That causes you the game. And then there are chances that, that there are basically in the first half that should have been taken, that are not taken, that those two factors are the major factors why Bayern Munich lost the game. It's not down to Thomas Tuchel. Of course, I, I rate him very highly. He's a very good coach. And I think a club like Barcelona would be head over heels to hire someone like a, uh, like a Thomas Tuchel. Or even if he can have a very good future in Italy in a club like Juventus, who have got good young players in there. And I think they can actually have a, a very good time with someone like a Thomas Tuchel at, uh, at their club. But right now, if you look at it with the context that everything's been having at this club, at Bayern Munich, it's not ha it's it's not happening for him. And given the fact that this result should not be falling onto the back of Thomas Tuchel entirely, it's all about the team. And I do not really like to put point fingers at the managers itself. And I I did that with Ragnik at 
at uh, at Manchester United majorly because I did not think that it was his fault entirely. I do not think that this is Thomas Tuchel's fault entirely because he's inherited a a circus altogether with when they were when it was Bradshaw and Oliver Kahn uh, running, uh, who were the ringmasters trying to orchestrate the. Uh, the opera in there, which was really needless to do at that point in time, but uh, right now you look at what he what he's got himself into is a lot of his own doing and a lot of a lot of the factors that have contributed our, or that ha- that have gradually seeped into this situation from the time that the seeds were sown from Julian Nagelsmann sacking. So there has been a lot of things that need to be pondered upon. The German media are mad right now over, over Thomas Tuchel. Given the fact that he's Bayern Munich coach, he has to face the wrath of those, of, of those people. He has got Bochum coming up. There, is, there will be a tough game at home against Leipzig as well. So he needs to tackle that as well. And then you have got the game against, uh, against, against Lazio in the return leg at the, at the Allianz Arena. He's got some games to resurrect what is a, a, a house on fire right now at the Allianz Arena, especially. You look at Thomas Muller, who's, uh, who's one of the great personalities of all time at Bayern Munich. He, he, someone, some suggest that he is Mr. Bayern Munich in totality in, in itself. And um, Of course, th- there is some truth to it because of his personality or where he carries himself uh, at the club and the status that he has earned at that football club but when you look at him he is the only one who's trying to do something for this football club and I, yeah again he, he played a better game than Joshua Kimmich and not just in terms of what, what the output was generated but he, he was trying to be sort of the solution to every single problem he was trying to run around he was trying to help people around he was trying to he, he, he was agitated at, at Harry Kane when he missed that first chance in the first five or six minutes that, that, that he he shows that even even at his twilight end of his career, he knows that he's got one more season after this at Bayern Munich at least. And when he says to himself that you know he he when he says all those words that he said at, in in the post match interview that he gave after the Leverkusen game, it shows that he cares about this game. He shows that he cares about the club. I don't know if he cares about. Thomas Thomas Tuchel, but because that is evident enough that he, that Muller does not re, that Tuchel does not really fancy Muller in the starting eleven, and this was just an emergency situation that he had to play um, Thomas Muller in because Gnabry. We know what the situation is with Gnabry and all these other players. We even look at Kingsley Coman, where he's injured right now for two or three months. Uh, Matisse Tell is not being uh, laid into the deep ends of the water as of now because of his age, and Tuchel is not really. Uh, going for that sort of a personnel in in this uh, in a game of this magnitude as of now, but you look at Muller in there, he, he cares about this club, and he, there is a certain amount of urgency to his game, which we do not see with with other players, especially the likes of Musiala or even Goretzka or even to a certain extent Joshua Kimmich, who is being touted as the next Bayern Munich captain, which is a big thing in German society. So. There's a lot of things to look forward to uh, for Bayern Munich, as I said, even uh, after the weekend's uh, podcast. And, of course, there, there will be a lot of question marks. The Bochum game is going to be massive now. If, if they have one of those Bochum games, which they had two years ago, I still remember that was also before the game against Salzburg in the Champions League. Um, they lost to Bochum by four goals to nil. And that, at that time, it was Julian Nagelsmann in charge. And... Uh, 
if they if they have that same sort of a game, it it is going to it it I I can see Thomas Muller Thomas Tuchel being fired of this job as uh, in in the tunnel itself. I mean that it's it's been that bad for them right now. Um, of course, uh, you look, if you look at the if you if you draw parallels with uh, Julian Nagelsmann, he had ten losses in somewhat double the amount of games that Thomas Tuchel has managed, and Thomas Tuchel has managed now. 43 games or something. Um, Nagelsmann managed with something 80, 85 odd games, and they had the same amount of losses right now. So it's 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 crazy, you know. It's it's crazy trying to um, draw parallels or draw comparisons in between those two managers. But you know, for all it's worth, it's going to be FC Hollywood all over again. It's going to be a lot of content. It's lo- It's going to be a lot of stories that will be swirling around in German football. We'll get a lot of things. Uh, clear in the coming weeks, especially before the game against Borkum. But until then, there is a lot to look forward to. As far as Lazio go, there will be th- th- there has to be some amount of interest right now with Maurizio Sarri in the second leg. Uh, there has been a wrath of injuries in there. They haven't been at the races in this uh, in the season, especially in the Serie A. They, they really did well to get out of the group, which I did not fancy them to go out of, given the fact that there was Feyenoord in there in Atletico Madrid. They lost to final, I think, in the one game where they played away in Rotterdam. But um, yeah, I mean, Lazio are a curious case right now. I, I did not fancy uh, Maurizio Sarri to actually take it until this point in the season. They have been having a good run of games uh, so far. They beat Cagliari very well uh, at the weekend, so that was trying. Uh, that that was kind of a dashboard. That, that was kind of a uh, a platform to actually get themselves up uh, in terms of momentum for this game and this game really does them a lot of good I still think Bayern Munich will go through in the quarterfinals if they don't it it just will be scandalous it will be catastrophic it will be a lot of questions barging upon not just on the manager but this time also on the players and all the Bodrum members around in the Allianz Arena whether it's Christoph Freund or even Uli Hoeneß and all these other guys from the con- from the cons- consultancy department at Bayern Munich, there will be a lot of uh, there will be a lot of people who will run around to save faces. But as for Lazio, it's just a good time to be alive. It was a fantastic atmosphere at the Stadio Olimpico. If they turn up again for ninety minutes at the Allianz Arena, they might just conjure something very, very special. So Bayern Munich were not the only German team to lose this week in the Champions League. RB Leipzig also hosted Real Madrid at the Red Bull Arena in Leipzig, and they lost this game by a goal to nil. Somewhat a bit controversial, but anyways, it is it is one nil to Real Madrid at the end of the first leg away in Germany. So they will take a massive advantage to the Bernabeu in what three weeks' time, and it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how things uh, how things work out for Real Madrid there as well because of the injuries that they've had. Um, there there will be suggestions that there were suggestions that Bellingham and of course Rudiger will be back. For the second leg in the Bernabeu, but anyways, let's take a look at what happened in this game. As far as uh, uh, as far as Leipzig go, they played a proper four-two-two-two, which they have generally played under Marco Rosa, and it is the same sort of uh, a, a structure with the ball that Real Madrid have as well. It's it, it is a diamond in theory it, with four midfielders, but it does not really look like a diamond. It comes around with the four-four-two. Sometimes this in this game, especially it was Brahim Diaz who started alongside 
Camavinga, Cruz and uh, Valverde. Vinicius and Rodrigo played up top with a back four of Folo Mondi and Nacho Chouameni and Danny Carvajal at right back. No Lucas Vasquez, who played really well, by the way, against Girona at the weekend. As far as Leipzig go, they had David Raum at left back. They had Klosterman and Willy Orban, who were fantastic in defence. And, of course, on the right back position, they had Mohamed Simakon. Um, midfielders, they had Schlager, Benjamin Hendricks, Danny Olmo and, uh, and Xavi Simons. Up top, they played with uh, Luis Openda and uh, Benjamin Sesco alongside Xavi Simons. So it, it, it was, again, a very, uh, a, a very identical structure with possession and without possession with both these teams. The only difference you can add is, uh, is with the quality of players that they were having. I thought Leipzig played really well. I, th- I thought Leipzig were very good in terms of uh, trying to threaten the Real Madrid defence. Benjamin Sesco had some really big chances. He could not take those. I thought um, Luis Openda in this game was... Uh, he-, he was pretty flat in this game, to be honest. He- he's, have a- he's had a very good season. Of course, he was the guy who-, who-, who scored twice against Man City in Manchester. But uh, yeah, it, I, I thought in this game, uh, Lois Openda was not that great. So was Xavi Simon. I thought Benjamin Sesco made some really good runs. But in terms of finishing the ch- his chances, he could not do so. He, he scored in three consecutive games before this. And of course, he also, uh, he also was at the epicenter of what happened in, in the first two minutes of this game. And that was a big co- talking point because was that offside? I, I, I don't think so. I, I, I saw a lot of... Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of opinions about this. Some say that it was not offside. Some say that it was offside. I, in many ways, thought that it was not offside. And uh, and even if it is, it is not cut and dry like it is 100% offside. There, there has to be some discussion around it. And the fact that it was given so very easily uh, without, any, without any major delay in play, it, it really was a bit staggering. But... Of course, there there has to be somewhat of a controversy, and it, it is RB Leipzig, and I think that's the reason why there is not much controversy. If this was, say, for example, Paris Saint-Germain or even Real Madrid or Man City or Bayern or any of the big hitters in the Champions League, it would have been a massive story. But it's it's not because it is RB Leipzig, and uh, I feel a bit sorry for them because of that. And I think it was a legitimate goal. That if if that would have happened against Real Madrid, that would have been absolutely. I would have been absolutely fuming about that, but it didn't. Uh, it was a very uh, dodgy decision, a, a wrong decision in my way, in my opinion, because there is no way that Lunin was getting obstructed by the player who was behind him. I think it was Shabra Schlager or maybe Lucas Klosterman. But I, I don't know, but uh, he, there was no way that he was being obstructed by the player behind him. Benjamin Sesco was being kept onside by Rodrigo. He was not the last man. So I don't know as to why this is uh, this was this was disallowed. You have to call out what what, what is wrong, and I think there were un, it was it was an unjust decision uh, over over RB Leipzig. They also had some they they had some good moments in this game. I think Benjamin Sesko had some two or three chances. Also, uh, Haidara and Xavi Simons tested Andre Lunin, who was fantastic on the night. I thought. Uh, if you if you talk about Real Madrid, I think Chouameni stepped up in the absence of Rudiger. And to be honest, if you look at it with the available centre backs that they, that Real Madrid might have this season, 
Chouameni and Rudiger seems to be the most obvious choice because Nacho has not looked good enough. He, there, there is a sense of uh, inevitability with a, with a mistake that's written all over him uh, this season. It, it just looks, uh, he just looks flat and maybe the best years are behind him. We, we all know about that, but surely there has to be some amount of... Uh, I mean, I mean, we expect some amount of consistency with Nacho, and that's that's just not happening this season for me. Um, if if you talk about Chouameni, Chouameni was fantastic. So was Andre Lunin, and there is a reason as to why Kepa is not wearing the gloves right now at Real Madrid, and it's Lunin because he's there. There is a lot of conviction in his uh, in his in, in his performances. There is a lot of reliability. There's a sense of calmness around around Lunin that we get that that we, that we used to get around Courtois as well. So. Um, that's uh, that's that, and of course I think Car- Carvajal had one of his worst games against uh, against Atletico Madrid. Or even in this game, he was he was not that great. But um, yeah, I, I have got a lot of faith in Carvajal. He's he's turned a big corner this season in terms of fitness, in terms of his change in diet and stuff. So yeah, it's 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 good. Um, by the way, let's talk about the goal that Brahim Diaz scored. It was fantastic. He was fantastic even in the game against Atletico Madrid, but. Uh, he, he scored a fantastic goal against Atletico there. He came close to score a, a, a very good second as well. In this one, he scored a fantastic goal. You know, there, there, was, there was no doubt about that. He should be winning the uh, best goal of this week award sort of thing that, that the UEFA Champions League awards. But this was fantastic, uh, to be honest, from, uh, from Brian Diaz. And every single time he's been called upon, he stepped up, not just with goals, but his, but his general plays, overall performances have been good. Whether he's starting up from right, whether he's starting up from left, has not really made a big difference to his output. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's been fantastic to to actually study his progress in this in this in this Real Madrid side. So uh, it's good to see. Uh, I'm really being happy with Brahim Diaz and his and his output. There was a bit of a scab with his with his calf that he just pulled up. Um, there there was uh, some amount of. Uh, discomfort that he felt the MRIs have come up yesterday and there there has been a suggestion that there is nothing to really to worry about with uh, with with um uh, with, with Brahim Diaz and he will be available for the game against Rayo Vallecano at the weekend so all all's, all's well there um again it's 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 a big story right now with with Jude Bellingham not being there but he stepped up and he's done a very good job Vinicius was fantastic again uh, came close to scoring, hit the post with that brilliant trickery of his. But yeah, that's about it in this game. It's a one 0 advantage to take into the Santiago Bernabeu. It 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 should be good enough. It it should be good enough for for Real Madrid in the end. And let's see what happens. Uh, moving away from uh, Germany, let's go to the Parc des Princes in Paris, as it was La Real Sociedad against uh, Paris Saint Germain. Uh, it was not a good game. Uh, for for PSG in the first half, for the first what sixty minutes they were not good enough. They really were not good enough, and then we saw Real Sociedad being absolutely uh, drained out. There, there was just no energy whatsoever left in them, and uh, eventually they ran out of steam. They are now two nil two nil behind going into that second leg in the San Sebastian, which in, in, wherein anything can happen, and uh, we all know Paris Saint Germain have those. Have those freakish little results, and it it could again unfold into absolutely absolutely chaos in there. 
Real Sociedad have have not scored in the in their last five games, and that's gonna and that and that's really ringing some bells around. But this is a well coached side, and I think they will turn a corner sometime sooner rather than later. They have to. It's been around what seven hours or something that they have not been able to. Uh, they've not been able to score goals, so that's. Uh, it's not a stat that they would really be looking forward to, but I thought in the first half they were very, very good. Um, Donnarumma was kept very much busy by Andre Silva, who had him stretching on two occasions. And uh, also, you look at it, the, the structure of Paris Saint-Germain with the midfield of Warren Zaire, Emery, Fabian Ruiz and... Uh, uh, Fabian Ruiz and Vitinha was not working well with the way they were trying to play it out. Uh, with with Vitinha not pl- uh, with, with Fabian Ruiz playing as the deep line playmaker, it just seemed a bit weird. They were trying to conjure something that was not really in their personnel. And Mikel Merino, Martin Zubimendi, and uh, uh, Zubimendi Merino, and who was the other? I think it was Bryce Mendes. All of these other guys were just running around circles uh, around the Paris Saint Germain midfield and. It really did not look pretty in the first half. Uh, Mikel Merino had that one shot which hit the per- which hit the crossbar. It, it's not like Paris Saint-Germain was just not really uh, in the game. Mbappe had a big chance against Alex Romero who made a good save. But I thought the first half was mainly uh, it, it was mainly revolving around Real Sociedad and how they were trying to uh, they were trying to rotate the ball and they did that to a very good extent. Uh, I thought Barancia was again very good. Takekubo was not really that great. He, of course, he created that one chance uh, for Andre Silva, who failed to hit the target on that occasion. But apart from that, I think uh, apart from that, I think he was a bit tired because of all his uh, adventures around with Japan and the Asian Cup. So that that that's a bit excusable there. But they they have got a lot to do. In the second leg at the at the, at the San Sebastian, and of course there there is a bit of optimism if they can get an early goal, it, anything can happen. Of course, if they kept keep themselves in the game for the majority of uh, of of the ninety minutes in Spain, they can really do something. But uh, yeah, I mean there there is just there is just very little to look forward to if you are if if you are neutral in this game. If 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 Paris Saint Germain get an early goal. In Spain, so and that and that is completely plausible. Um, I think with, uh, with with Paris Saint Germain, we always associate uh, a lack of professionalism, and I think we we saw a bit of that in the first half. But the second half, they just got together and just just manufactured out a result which was good enough to take them through to the quarterfinals over the two legs if they are professional enough. Um, I thought there's some of the things that. Uh, that that Luis Enrique did in the lack in in the second half were were pretty were pretty helpful in terms of getting the right balance in in that midfield because uh, Vitinha came in deep alongside Fabian Ruiz making it a a midfield two against uh, against Bryce Mendes and that really uh, that that really cut the get cut the feathers of 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 of, uh, of Real Sociedad given the fact that they were also running out of steam and because of their because of 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 their of their high intensity press for the majority of the last one hour, and again that that's uh, that's that's given with, with the amount of uh, with the amount of energy that that gets spent with with these things. Of course, there there is that, that there is an element of uh, a, a element of experience that comes around with with Paris Saint Germain as well. But there is also the uh, the the what do you say the 
the horrendous nostalgia that, that, that also gets associated with these sort of games wherein Paris Saint-Germain have not had a very good, uh, very good past with. Uh, but of course, right now with, with Luis Enrique, he, who is an experienced coach, has won this Champions League before as well. He must be coping well enough with this personnel to actually navigate himself through to the next, to the next round, given the fact that it is, a very, uh, it is a very inexperienced squad that will turn up. In the uh, in in the next round in the in the, in the San Sebastian, but there there was some ray of optimism. If you if you are a Real Sociedad fan, if you are Manuel Alguacil, you would think about this and say, you know what, there is something to look forward to if you are uh, from 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 the first half that they played because. If this is the personnel, they did not play Ugarte in this first half, uh, in, in this game from the start. So that that's, might be something that, that's worth suggesting something. But um, that there is that sort of a belief that, that, that there, there is something, a sort of a optimism that you can have in yourself if you are Real Sociedad. And you could think that if they get the first early goal and if they have a very good start in, in, uh, in San Sebastian, anything and anything can happen with... Uh, with this PSG side, because we all know that they uh, they they they're they very uh, good at downing tools when it when when it really is turning when the tide is really turning against them. If you talk about the goals, uh, I I don't know why why Takekubo is actually marking uh, Kylian Mbappe. That's just not his place to. That's just not his place to be. Um, if you look at also. Um, the second goal, which was uh, which was scored by Bradley Barco, I, th- I thought the second goal was fantastic. But Barcola is somehow finding uh, some scoring form. Yeah, also I think he scored against Toulouse or something. Uh, so it's it's good for him. It's, he's a youngster. He's he's got a lot to learn from right now uh, from 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 his experienced peers. But uh, yeah, I think I think uh, the the first goal. I think there was just. There was just lack of an experience, lack of experience in there, just showing through from uh, from Real Sociedad, and the fact a fact that uh, Takikubo, such a small and tiny guy, is trying to mark Kylian Mbappe, and then again, it's it's just one thing, it's marking him, and the second thing, he's just completely lost him for that uh, for that corner, and again, it, players like Mbappe are always going to punish you in some way or the other, but that's two 0 I think uh, there will be. Uh, there will be a lot to look forward to. I think it, if, you, if you're a neutral, you have, will have a keen eye on this game in the first 15-20 minutes if Real Sociedad keep themselves in the game. Anything can happen. It's two goals, I know. Uh, they will come hard at them in Spain. and It's, it's nothing to lose for Real Sociedad. Let's, let's be honest about that. And the second leg, being in Spain with the hostile atmosphere, there will be a lot to be said and done in the second leg. Paris Saint-Germain better be wary of... Uh, of, of this situation. So enough of Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid. Let's take a look at what binds them together. And the one thing that really binds them together is a certain Kylian Mbappe. And he has reportedly confirmed to Nasser Al-Khalafi and the Paris Saint-Germain board that he will be leaving this summer on a free to a club. It's, it's not really clear right now if that will be Real Madrid or they might be looking at some uh, that that might be looking at some 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 other club, maybe a Man City or even a Liverpool. If uh, if some of the suggestions are uh, are believed to be true, but it's more likely than not it's going to be Real Madrid, which which I personally I don't want it to be because it's one it's he is a problem creator in in the dressing room. It, it's it's going to be a nuisance 
because of his prima donna character that he's, that he's always had. But um, would I really want him to be there at Real Madrid? I don't know because one thing, one thing is for sure, uh, he's got talent and he is a match winner. There is, there is, nothing, there is no denying that. And the fact that he, he's had attitude problems in the past not just in the past, but even in the present. You look at the season, the games against Newcastle and Milan. He is just not interested. In, he's just not interested in tracking back. He's he's waiting on the halfway line, waiting for his players to engineer something for him, and then he he goes on on his on his merry runs where he is talented enough. He is fast enough to actually threaten to actually uh, conjure that fear in the minds of the opposition with his talent and his pace. Um, so it's 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 inevitable that right now I think he will end up at Real Madrid. Um, there might be an end of a cycle. There might be an end of an era with the likes of Kroos and Modric leaving. There's also suggestions that uh, Nacho will be leaving at the end of the season. I think there is no actual apparent reason as to why Nacho should be staying, given his performances are are deteriorating by uh, by each passing game, and he's just playing right now because we have an absolute calamity defensively in terms of the numbers that we can actually um, put up on the field so there, there is that as well so I, I don't know why as, as to why there is that ray of optimism with uh, with the amount of players that they can come but anyways we, we're talking about killing Mbappe and uh, well he, he well, there, there is suggestions that there were rumors around um around two or three days ago before the game between Paris Saint-Germain and Real Sociedad that uh, it's uh, it, 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 the, the rumours about Kylian Mbappe's mom, his entourage not being convinced about, about, about Real Madrid completely because of, because of the money that were being offered by Florentino Perez and Jose Angel Sanchez which was, which was significantly less than the amount that was actually offered in 2022 there there was certain amount of discontent with the image rights and stuff reportedly that's been the case so would i like him to be at real madrid given the fact that these old things might just bloom out to be a big old tree in the end that just obstructs all the sunlight coming through at, at the football club given the fact that there is a a, a significant amount of camaraderie right now in the group and this might just stir the pot a bit and just uh, and and just you know cultivate a bit of uh, negativity around the group. I just don't want that. But then again, you can't deny the talent. And in some ways, in the last twelve months, I have been making peace with myself to see Kylian Mbappe wearing a Real Madrid jersey. But the thing again is that he is not the A side right now uh, at this point in time in his career. Real Madrid are the A side. It's not like we need Kylian Mbappe. Kylian Mbappe needs a big club and who bigger than Real Madrid to actually uh, give his career a new direction. So I, he should not be the guy who starts at left wing because he wants to start at left wing. He needs to start centre forward, which he is doing right now for Luis Enrique. But he needs to start centre forward if, Carlos, if, if Vinicius Jr. wants to play left wing. He cannot play uh, centre forward. He can't play right wing if uh, if Rodrigo ca- if if Rodrigo wants to play that false nine role and Bellingham drops down in the midfield. That could be another solution. But uh, he cannot play left wing just because he is a superstar and he has that stature and he has that talent. Vinicius will play left wing because he has 
uh, proved at Real Madrid that he is worthy enough of a starter to play at left wing, and not, it's not going to be killing Mbappe. Um, of course, there is that sort of uh, uh, that nostalgia that comes around with him uh, not being at the races before in terms of his planning, his his career planning. But um, yeah, there there is that. Uh, that there is that sort of now that that acceptance that comes up with him as well, and people are not really, uh, not really psyched up with this news. But anything happens, I'm I'm not so sure what uh, what to make of this. In, in my honest opinion, if if I was Florentino Perez, I would not have gone behind him with the pursuit uh, after what happened in 2022 when he chose Paris Saint Germain. I would have just left him hung to dry, uh, left left him there to be hung to dry and. Been, been been seen as an absolute villain in there. I, I don't know. Uh, there there is there is a lot of narratives in there. I'm sure that he will come this time around. I don't want I don't want him per se, but let's say for example he comes and he he will be there. I, I've I've got no doubts about that. And let's see what happens after after all these after all these after all this hassle. So there was not just all these three games. There was another one between Man City and FC Copenhagen. I don't know how Man City get out, get away with these so easier draws. And FC Copenhagen played uh, Man City at uh, the uh, at the Parken Arena in Denmark, and they they were just Man City were good in this game. Erling Haaland missed a bunch of chances, but that's enough. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne was fantastic. Um, so were other some of their players, and they played really well in my opinion. There was not just there was not much to really look forward to in this game. The Foden was fantastic. Uh, there were some injuries in this game. Jack Grealish went off injured, so that's that's a big uh, that's a big negative for them. And also did Josko Guardiola. So that were the two massive injuries to them. But I think they can cope. They have Doku in there. Foden can play on the left hand side. Uh, you have some so many options that can that that can be uh, put forward to Pep Guardiola, and they just might be. Uh, they just might be better off with any of those. So there's just not much of a story there to uh, there, there to be put forward to. But yeah, uh, at the end of the day, it is what it is, and we'll we'll see to it what happens after the end of uh, after the end of the second leg. I think Man City would just be fine against FC Copenhagen. It's been a good story for FC Copenhagen. They went away to uh, Man Man United and they absolutely toasted them at, at Old Trafford. They they had a nil-nil draw away at, to the Allianz Arena against Bayern. So, if 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 Lazio want to uh, have something of out of uh, uh, something to inspire them, you know, they might just refer to that game. So, it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, FC Copenhagen in 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 the Etihad if they can do something of that sort because it's it's important to give some a team like Man City a game just to realize that they are not really in here for a stroll around in the park. So let's see what happens. But until then, this was your host, Mayuresh Matkar. Or maybe I'll give you a bit of an intro, uh, an outro before leaving. Uh, because, um, yeah, this uh, this was it for uh, this podcast. And I will be meeting you guys next Friday after all the, uh, uh, all the, all the Europa League fixtures are done and all the Champions League fixtures are done. Until then, uh, you can tune into my... Uh, Instagram account. It is w e e k l y p o d underscore or w e e k l y p o d dot o t t. And uh, on Twitter, it is w e e k l y p o d underscore o t t. Uh, do share. Do be 
free to ping me there and I'll be happy enough to answer your questions. Until then, this was a host, Mayuris. Cheerio.